Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. If you're really concerned about healthcare economics and the possibility of waste in healthcare and you want to drill down on value-based care, that starts with something like gender-affirming care. That starts with treating the individual with respect and ensuring that that individual trusts the healthcare environment. Today, Dallas Dukar, Chief Executive Officer of TransHealth, joins the podcast to discuss gender-affirming care in this first of a two-part edition of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. I'm your host, Senior Vice President and Medical Director, Dr. Tim Wright, and joining me on the podcast today is Dallas Dukar. Ms. Dukar is a clinical nurse lead and an AANC certified psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner and Chief Executive Officer of TransHealth here in Massachusetts. Ms. Dukar, welcome to the podcast. Hey there, Tim. So grateful to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. So to start off, folks who listen to the podcast know that my first question is usually, how do you describe your clinical setting or, or where you work every day? Yeah. So, you know, TransHealth uh, is an independent, comprehensive healthcare center that supports and empowers trans and gender diverse individuals and families. So we are a, a healthcare center and we recognize that throughout our history, trans and gender diverse people have looked to each other as a source of healing support and affirmation, because oftentimes we haven't had another place to go. So as a trans-led organization rooted in Western Mass, we're expanding healthcare possibilities. That is through our clinical care, but it's also through education, research, and advocacy, and community offerings. Okay. And I always find it fascinating to hear what motivated others to pursue their careers in healthcare. Can you share your story? Sure. I mean, my story is quite simple. I worked in academic medical centers. I worked in larger institutions and I saw that for so many people, they were a box to be checked, right? That the way that the modern healthcare environment has really uh, shaped itself has been one where we have been trained to treat patients and their lives as something like an RVU or uh, just another task it needs to be accomplished in a long litany of tasks throughout the day. And I saw that whether it was at my time at the University of Virginia or Mass General Hospital, which are great institutions, that it just didn't seem to work in the way that I believed healthcare should be delivered, which is person-centric, which is holistic, which is giving yourself the time and space to be able to deeply care and to know and to affirm the individual. When I say affirm, I mean, you know, getting to be able to not only know someone's name or their pronouns, but to understand their life story, to be able to meet them where they are, and to be able to actively be co-created in that space. And that is not something that I have seen much space for, if any, in the modern healthcare system. So I wanted to change that. And I wanted to change that with a group of committed and powerful individuals who are committed in that endeavor. Wow. And so this is going to be a really wide question and we can drill down into different parts of it. So in particular, what advocacy issues do you see as the most important for the trans community and also for those of us who want to support them? Well, there's, there's a couple. One is a through line, though, that we have seen since COVID. And that is intimidation and violence towards healthcare workers. We have seen 
since COVID, more physicians, more nurses, more healthcare workers in general who have been threatened for providing good evidence-based care. We've seen as of last summer bomb threats against pediatric hospitals across the country who are just attempting to provide good evidence-based care. These are bomb threats against pediatric hospitals that had to shut down operations. That should be unconscionable. And so there's a through line in the general mistrust of healthcare workers, mistrust of experts through COVID, the denial of public health, the denial of science, that has then now cultivated into a space where anyone's able to say how they feel about a branch of medical science or clinical science and then actively intimidate or actively attempt to incur violence on someone else who's attempting to save the life of a human being. So one, there has to be very clear protection for healthcare workers so healthcare workers can do their jobs. We've also seen the risk of violence by domestic terrorists in this space really increase as well. And for many, we've seen many patients and many providers fearful of uh, engaging in just good healthcare in general. And the other issue that we've seen across the trans community is just ensuring equitable healthcare access, right? We just know across the board that there is not enough access to gender-affirming care despite what people may say otherwise. And that access issue is really important because since COVID, we saw telehealth really expand access to good care. Prior to that, surveys showed that people had to drive 60 to 90 minutes just to get access to very basic care. And part of that is really expanding the reach through things like telehealth, but also educating individuals on what good affirming healthcare looks like and the fact that evidence-based gender-affirming care can be provided by any clinician as long as they are trained sufficiently in best practices. You know, that, that through line about people having opinions about medical care that, you know, are evidence-based and, and there's no question scientifically. Um, we had Dr. Uh, Chloe Zara on last week talking about reproductive rights in Massachusetts. And it's the same sort of thing. She always gets very frustrated when people who are not healthcare providers start trying to legislate um, healthcare. I, I, sadly, I think that we've seen this before and I think it's going to take a lot of work to stop it or try to improve it. One of the common catchphrases to dismiss the complexity of gender and the value of gender-affirming care has been facts don't care about your feeling. But when it comes to healthcare decisions, why would we allow political pundits to decide what a fact is? And why not instead trust the experience and expertise of scientists, of nurses, and other clinicians? That's what we need to do here. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a bit about the significance of the Gender Affirming Care Access Program? Yes. So the Gender Affirming Care Access Program is a uh, innovative program that TransHealth has launched that is funded right now by the Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation of Massachusetts. And we were so pleased, so pleased to be able to see that the Senate and the House just agreed on a budget that will further, for, further 
uh, support a program like this, um, which allocates around $500,000 to address gender-affirming care concerns and provide case management and care navigation and to ensure that health facilities, individual providers, and others um, are really educated in the best practices when it comes to gender-affirming care. So in a place like Trans Health, you know, we're uniquely poised to deliver gender-affirming care. But we don't believe by any means that we should be the only place doing this, right? And instead, we should integrate conversations around gender and identity into all of our clinical conversations. And we need to ensure that people feel skilled in doing that. And so that starts by creating a resource, at least at this time for the people of Massachusetts, and we hope that eventually these resources will continue to expand, that will then ensure that people can get answers to the questions that they have on demand. It could be questions around gender. It could be questions around uh, development. It could be complex questions that might involve the intersection of endocrinology and psychiatry, right? But all of those then could be referred to an expert so that the provider is better able to provide better care right there, right then. Right. And the way I foresee this is as an emergency medicine physician is, is that my door is open to everyone. And so I need to be able to care for everyone, you know, regardless of their circumstance and understand the nuance that may be going on with what their personal you know, medical history is. And I think that that's very important. That actually leads me sort of to my next question, which is, you know, what are the common misunderstandings about gender affirming care among sort of other specialists, like general family practitioners or pediatricians or, or endocrinologists or even oncologists? Well, you know, I think there's, there's a couple misconceptions here. Um, some of the misconceptions definitely revolve around pediatric care, but in general, some of the misconceptions here are, for example, that someone's identity has been influenced by their own experience of trauma in some way, right? Um, or that they're, them being trans, for example, um, or gender diverse in some way necessitates the existence of some type of psychiatric condition or that gender dysphoria, for example, is universal amongst trans individuals which is not the case either. We see a whole spectrum of uh, different identities, uh, and uh, we see that uh, there are many different cultures around the world with more than two genders. And so to take a Western construct born out of the DSM, like gender dysphoria, and apply that to anyone who doesn't fit in a binary or may not be identified as their sex assigned at birth, is just, uh, you know, I think a, a large misconception, and it unfortunately pathologizes the individual. Uh, and, you know, we as healthcare providers are, we're, we're taught to lead in a way with pathology, to look for what's wrong with you versus what's right with you. And that's really a paradigm shift in affirming care, which is instead we're going to help you, we're going to listen to you and help you to co-create and become the individual that you want to be. Right. There are other more, you know, clinical misconceptions that we can get into as well. There's misconceptions around, you know, cancer risk of, uh, you know, hormonal therapies, for example, uh, which are unproven. And instead, we see in population-based studies that when people get access to gender-affirming hormonal care, not only do we see mental health get better over time, but we also see 
people generally engage in less risky behaviors, such as smoking, for example. Um, we've also, you know, seen misconceptions that an individual's uh, issue that they're coming into you with is somewhat tethered to their identity, uh, and that's that's just not the case. Trans people, just like anyone else, seek healthcare that can be completely and totally unrelated to their identity. The list goes on. Right. Crushing substernal chest pain is a heart attack, is a heart attack, is a heart attack. doesn't matter who has it. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Yes. Uh, oh, no, no, that's, and that's great information. So I want to sort of switch gears here a little bit because I read something um, out of the state of Tennessee that, and I want to talk about the protection of medical records and, and how disturbing that was to me as a medical professional that, you know, is this possible? Could this happen in the Commonwealth? I mean, I understand that some system in Tennessee was subpoenaed by the AG to release records for uh, patients. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we in in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, all members of the executive branch have reaffirmed the moral duty of our Commonwealth to stand up for constitutionally protected health care. And we've reaffirmed that gender-affirming care is constitutionally protected health care. And that means protecting someone's access to care and also engaging in, or really not engaging, in any acts that might in other ways try to interfere with uh, access to that gender-affirming care. So for example, if there was a subpoena from another state, right, it is actually the law in Massachusetts that we will not comply, that our state will not comply, that the that the police will not comply, that the courts will not comply, that our, our government will not comply. Our government has a, a wide range of really protective mechanisms to ensure that there's expanded protections of gender-affirming care. And, you know, that that really includes ensuring that individuals are, that there are legal protections for individuals across the board. You know, and I'm old enough to sort of know when we didn't have real HIPAA working in an emergency room, you could fax a record to another physician about an EKG or something without any release being signed. And that always seemed a little odd. But now in this day and age with HIPAA protections and now people wanting to look at people's records that have nothing to do with healthcare really gets me very upset as a healthcare provider. It should it should get us upset because HIPAA is, you know, it's 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 vital to maintaining the trust and integrity in our healthcare institution in general. And so regardless of whether it's constitutionally protected information or constantly constitutionally protected care or not. We have laws in this country that say this is privileged information and no one, but especially politically motivated actors, should ever be able to access that information. So, you know, that's already one federal designation. And then with that, there are specific state designations ensuring that at least reproductive health care and gender affirming care are legally protected. And that is wide ranging. It It's wide ranging in terms of how we would ensure that it prohibits any boards of registration in other areas to discipline or take action on any individuals in Massachusetts for providing gender-affirming services. It prohibits law enforcement from assisting in any investigation. It prohibits medical malpractice insurers from discriminating, protects residents from efforts to enforce court rulings, uh, prohibits 
courts from ordering a person in Massachusetts to even give testimony and prohibits any justice from issuing a summons or the governor of another state extraditing someone. So there is additional protections that have been taken that really are the bare minimum that other states should be engaging in. And there's much more that can be done too in this time and day that I hope other progressive states will continue to show up for to protect access. Yeah, I too as well. I mean, and, you know, to get to the heart of it from a healthcare perspective is you want patients to be as open and honest with you as you can. And for them to have this sort of, they're like, well, if I'm really open and honest, maybe that'll, you know, someone might try to use that against me. That That is just counterproductive to providing good healthcare. And it should, with these states that are passing these laws have been so concerned about their economies, right? Or so they purport. And if you're really concerned about healthcare economics and the possibility of waste in healthcare and you want to drill down on value-based care, that starts with something like gender-affirming care. That starts with treating the individual with respect and ensuring that that individual trusts the healthcare environment. Because what we see are that rates of discrimination climb upwards to 60 to 70% if you are trans and you are less likely to show up for routine care. You are then also less likely to show up for urgent care. And guess what? That's not going to stop the issue, right? The chances of morbidity mortality increase. You're more likely to end up in the emergency room. The costs to the system are now skyrocketing when you could have just provided good gender-affirming care in a preventative way. And that concludes part one of this two-part series of the PB Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Please be sure to join us for part two next time. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions? Please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, what's my flash briefing? Thanks today to our guest, Dallas Dukar, and Norm Dion, Sean Mullen, and Kate Rio for production assistance. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.